Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan. This is the first episode of 2019. I know I'm a little late. What are we, uh, 15 days into the new year, uh, between New Year's and, uh, some other work related things. I went up to New England last week to help out our, our Patriots reporter. So, I'm getting to you a little late, right? I get it. I get it. You you can hold that against me. It's my fault. Uh, say, come on, Jordan. You, the, your New Year's resolution should be 2019, the podcast, Breaking Big Blue, every week. I know, right? It should. We're going we're gonna to aim to make that happen as much as possible going forward here. Now we got a couple little... Uh, vacations and stuff squeezed in so we're not going to go 52 weeks a year but we're going to try and make it as regular as possible moving forward right so okay i'm jordan ronan espn espn.com giants reporter and i'm here and this is going to be the postseason wrap episode in a way and then we're going to roll it forward a little bit right the giants five and eleven because i haven't spoken to you since that last game i have been a little under the radar so the final tally is 5 and 11. Okay? Which means they get the number 6 overall pick in the NFL draft. Now we're going to be talking about a lot about that coming up, right? Not only in the next month, 2 months, 3 months, starting today, right? Because that's all people want to know. Are they going to draft Dwayne Haskins? Are they going to, you know, get Kyler Murray, are they going to draft a pass rusher, offensive lineman? I know the questions are coming. They're already here. The Giants went 5-11. and 11. They have massive upgrades, but it's people want to turn that page. But before we do that, we're going to have to figure out what went wrong this season a little bit, right? And a lot went wrong, let's be honest. It was not a very good team. Bad team, really, overall. Uh, offensively, below average. Really bad early in the season. Got better as the season went along. Defensively, below average. Minimal talent. Was better early in the season. Got worse as the season went along. Special teams. That is the rare bright spot of the Giants, by the way. According to Football Outsiders, the Giants had, under Thomas McGehee in his first season in this job, the third overall special teams in the NFL, according to DVOA. So you got to like that. I mean, they didn't score any touchdowns, but they also didn't give up any touchdowns. Uh, they kind of did give up a touchdown, and they, they messed up on a punt return, actually. I take that back. Uh, it wasn't like a return, but uh, Odell Beckham ran into uh, a punt as he was trying to get out of the way of it. The, the Panthers recovered, and uh, we all know how that went down. But overall, they had guys like Mike Thomas. They had guys like Russell Shepard, who, by the way, and I found this pretty interesting. I was asking around the Giants locker room, you know, team MVP, uh, and Saquon, by the way, blew away the field on that. Mo- most Best moment, worst moment. And one of the questions was, most important guys in the locker room, most important voice in the locker room. And you know who, if he didn't finish in first, came out pretty darn close to the top of the list? Russell Shepard. Yes. Backup, backup, wide receiver. Special teams player, just a, from what guys say in the locker room, very funny guy, very personable, uh, is willing to speak his mind if he has to. You know, he, he seems to have that clout. He's a veteran in this league. He's been on the Panthers, came with Gettleman, signed him there. He was with the Bucks. Uh, he was with Odell Beckham Jr. in 
um, in LSU. So, uh, these, you know, he's a guy that has a little clout in that locker room, I guess. And that's interesting because if you think about it, Russell Shepard is on, you know, I think he's on a, he was on a one year deal. So the Giants are going to have to make a decision on whether they want to bring him back. You want to bring back an older wide receiver. He's probably a fourth or fifth wide receiver, but he could contribute on special teams, but he does have a lot of value in that locker room. So that's something to keep uh, your eyes on moving forward. But overall, just a poor year for the Giants, right? We, we knew there was going to be some growing pains. They have a new coach, a new general manager, new schemes, but we talked about this many times. The direction of the franchise wasn't rebuild and reload. It was get guys like Alec Ogletree. You're trading assets for him. The only, the only guy that they got rid of, uh, that, that really, at least before the season, that was a significant player was, uh, Jason Pierre Paul in the offseason. They got rid of him, but they added pieces. They added the Jonathan Stewart's of the world. Um, I mean, the Nate Solder, they signed to a huge contract. The Giants' moves were dictated towards, okay, we are going to try and compete this year. And they didn't. They started the season one and seven. And after the season, and I, this has been a, a topic of conversation recently, Dave Gettleman went up there and he said, you know, somebody pressed him. There was an article written and uh by in the New York Post and the New York Post followed it up by asking Gettleman about it and saying basically the defense was bad and that was the reason they were 5 and 11 and he said yeah well yeah that was why we were 5 and 11 we need more players I'm I'm paraphrasing we need more pl- players playmakers etc on defense and that just makes my made my blood boil and I wrote about it and, and there's been some little whispers you know about James Betcher and not being ecstatic about his first season there. And you, you wonder what is going on here. Okay. Because let's go back and look at the first half of the season. All right. The first half of the season, the offense with, first of all, when they went one in seven, when their season went down the toilet, when their season became total garbage, one in seven. Okay. The offense averaged less than 19 points a game during that 1-7 and seven start. 19 points a game. And by the way, this is a season where there's a record number of points being scored left and right. So to say, yeah, that well, that's why we're 5-11 and 11 and kind of point shift that blame at the defense, to me, is either two things. One, it's a bit of recency bias because the defense was worse in the second half of the season. They traded two starters and they lost some, they blew some games down the stretch, right? They allowed some late scores to the Colts and the Cowboys specifically in the final two weeks and it left a bad taste in their mouth. So recency bias could be one reason. The other reason is that they got to protect the quarterback, right? Because that's, this organization has walked on eggshells now for years, right? And it's been, we have to be very careful what we say, so we're not going to say that the, call, the, the the offense and the quarterback played terribly in the first half of the season. No. Right? They're going to say that, yeah, the defense, right, the reason we were bad was because of the defense. We, we, uh, because our, we overhauled our roster, right, this offseason. We only have X number of returning players. But the reality is, okay, 
and you want to say, and then they've said, they sat there and they said, we improved, we're a better team, look at our culture. And sure, their culture, I, I get it, and I agree on this, on this end. I think it's better. I think they're moving in the right direction in that regard. The point about overhauling the roster and being a better team. Look, the Giants went three and 13 the previous year. We're garbage, terrible, right? Just a terrible team. Odell was hurt. Shepard was in and out of the lineup. Uh, they had nobody left, uh, basically, all over the field. They had no running back. This year, they won two more games. But they basically added Saquon Barkley and Odell Beckham to that roster. So it's not an excuse. It's not like, well, yeah, they're definitely a better team. They won two more games. First of all, 5-11 is bad. Okay? And to do it by adding those two guys and still not being better, and to have to walk around the quarterback when... Go look at the first half of the season. They scored 15 points in the loss to the Jaguars. The defense, by the way, gave up 13 because Eli Manning threw a pick six in that one. So really, the defense allowed 13 points in that game. Next week, the Giants allowed 20 to the Cowboys. Never really in the game. They score a touchdown late to make it even 20 to 13, but that game wasn't even close. The defense, while they didn't allow a lot of points... They they were never in the game at all because the offense did nothing. Week three, offense played well. They won a game. They scored 27 points. Okay, defense was okay. A little up and down, especially late. They were wearing down, which became a common theme in the season. Week four, Giants defense held tight against the Saints. 12 points in the first half. They're still losing at halftime. They start wearing down as the game went along. Giants offense did very little. And they let up a couple late scores. They lose 33-18. to Not a good effort by the defense. Next week, another bad all-around effort from everybody. The offense wakes up in the second half. They lose to a heartbreaker to Carolina. The defense doesn't hold up their end of the deal late in that game. And they all, they get blown out in a terrible game against the Eagles. Then in week seven, they go to the to Atlanta. They let up 23 to Atlanta. And it's only the final score ends up at 20. And that's not terrible because Monday night, Atlanta, by the way, their defense was decimated. They had nobody left Atlanta. Bad defensive team this year. The Giants score 20, and that's with a touchdown with one second left. Okay, so they lose 23-20. Defense keeps them in that game. They let up 20 the following week to the Redskins. So that's one, two, uh, three, four games. Four games? Four games. Where they allowed 23 points or less. And they lost early in this season. Okay? And then you have the, the Saints game, which they were, defense was pretty good early on. So that's five of the seven losses when the defense was pretty good. Now the defense, yes, they need a lot of help. It's not a good unit. Let's go over some of the defensive numbers. 24th in the NFL. Not good. 20th in rushing. Not good. 23rd in pass. Not good. So below average pretty much in every way, shape, or form. But they withered, got worse as the season went along. You also have to take into consideration the Giants' season was over by then, so by they, they traded two starters. So the second half of the season defense is minus two starters because they were so bad in the first half of the season. So to me, to heap blame on the defense – and say, yeah, that was the reason, and I know he didn't mean it, the exclusive only reason, but a big part of the reason and, and really kind of shifting the attention away from the offense, which failed them in the first half when they're, when, when they 
season was still there for them. And I know some people want to pretend the second half of the season mattered. They got back in the playoffs. That was never true. Okay? Don't believe that. I tried to explain that to you at the time. They were 1% to make the playoffs. 1%. 2%. I think it was. 1% or 2%. Uh, it, it, at one point, it was a 2% and dipped to 1%. And people were pretending there was a real shot to make the playoffs. There wasn't. Okay? And by the way, you know, people were talking about them winning at the team lost their final three games. So, it's not a good team. They have to rebuild. There's a lot of things they need to fix moving forward right now. But, if I'm going to be in the blame distribution business, okay, I'm going to say, okay, let's make a list. Who is most to blame for the Giants' 5-11 and season? All right, I'm going to start me number one, and this is my point before. I'm going to go with the offense, right? And uh, if I have to break it down, there's three parts of that, okay? It's in no order right now. I'm going to put them in order in a second. Eli Manning, the offensive line, and Dave Gettleman, right? Just overall, overall because of the talent. Still don't think they're a great unit. They misjudged several positions. Uh, they misjudged several free agents. Uh, the Jonathan Stewart, they could, they could have gotten better use of their money. Uh, Patrick Omame, starting right guard, total disaster, came back, rolled back another season with Eric Flowers without a real contingency plan. That was a pure disaster. And then they had to roll it back into, uh, Chad Wheeler because that's really all they had there. So, flawed plan on Gettleman's part. But, if, I'm going to assign blame, and I know everybody gets an uproar, and uh, but I have to start with the quarterback. And for the pure reason of he is the most, he's the highest paid player on this team. So if you're going to put that much resources into the position, the expectations have to rise, right? The offensive line, the expectation to me was pretty much what they were in the second half of the season. An average unit, right? So the fact that they started bad and were bad for most of the first half of the season, which obviously affected the quarterback and limits his ability to produce, yes, that all rolls into one. But when you pay the quarterback $20-plus million a year and he's the top-paid player on the team, you're going to need that guy to play to a higher level. So if I'm going to assess blame, I'd probably go Eli offensive line, Gettleman defense. Sort of as my top four. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to crush Pat Shermer. I mean, I, I wasn't uh, ecstatic about some of the moves he made. Uh, in-game moves, I think, were questionable. But what was he working with? Like, what was really there? Like, how many, what was realistic? For this roster and the team that he had to do. I mean, I think I picked eight wins, and I probably overshot it. I think I overvaluated the town a little. So I'd say maybe seven wins was realistic looking at their roster of what Pat Shermer could have maximized it and got out of it. About seven wins. So is five Horrible in his first year as coach. He's learning on the fly a little bit too. He's learning some of the pieces he had, and you saw he adjusted as the season went along. 
they kind of adjusted their philosophy. And there you go. And all of a sudden, they're relying a little more heavily on the running game. And the passing game becomes secondary. And they're sort of, he becomes a passenger. That's the way I like to say it. So Eli becomes a passenger instead of really the conductor. And now this is the decision the Giants have to make going forward. How are they going to align and formulate this team? Because here's what you have on the roster. You have a roster, at least from the skill maker, you know what, a roster in general, an offensive roster, designed to have a team that throws the ball around the yard, that could hit big running plays on top of that, uh, and... Right, because you have Saquon Barkley, who's a big play waiting to happen. Best skill of his is that he's a home run. Right, he can. He had what five rushes of fifty or more yards this season, which was more than the Giants had in like I don't know, I forget the number, ten years or whatever it was, ten year stretch. So he's a home run waiting to happen. Then you have Odell Beckham, top three receiver in my opinion in the NFL. You have Sterling Shepard, a quality number two, or at worst case, a really good straight slot receiver. And then Evan Ingram, who's a weapon, can't block very well, but a weapon at tight end. So you have all that. Okay? Do you really want to design your offense to be a run kind of first unit with those guys? It seems like a mismatch to me. So the Giants have to decide moving forward, how do we want to, what do we want the identity of this team to be? What do we want the personnel to indicate? Like, do they really want an offensive line of Jamon Browns? And I don't say this to demean Jamon Brown at all. I think he's pretty good against the run, not very good against the pass, um, really one of those road grader type guys. Okay, do you really want to have your offensive line like that and then have these kind of weapons? Like, or you know, you know what I mean? There needs to be. Some symmetry with this team. Like, the offensive line, you want to get, sure, you ideally want guys that could do both. Okay. You want guys that could pass protect and run block, but you're not going to have five perfect guys. So you're going to have to lean towards a, lean towards a preference. So to have a power running offensive line, which, it really seems like they do, right? Because Jamon Brown, if he comes back, he's a power, you know, right guard, road grader. Uh, John Jalapio, bigger run grading center. Will Hernandez, best skill against the run. All right, now Nate Solder, pretty solid at both. I wouldn't put him in either category, but it just seems that that line, and Chad Wheeler, at least when he was there, he was a better run blocking right tackle than he is when he struggles because he really struggles in pass protection. So they have to find, they have to figure out where they are headed. If they want to be a more run-heavy team, then it would be good to get rid of one of their weapons, right, and start building the roster and adding pieces to make you a more run-heavy team. Do I think that's the right way to go? No, because this is a pass-heavy league nowadays. You have to be able to run the ball. You have to be able to play defense, particularly rush the passer. Giants can't do that. We know that. That is an area of need. But, right, what can they do? They can make big plays. They can throw it around the yard. Here, I'm going to pull up the statistics real quick. Okay? The top four teams 
in points per game this season, okay, in the NFL, points per game are the Kansas City Chiefs, number one, the Los Angeles Rams, number two, the New Orleans Saints, number three, and the New England Patriots, number four. As we head into the championship weekend, what is the common theme with those four teams? They're the four that are still playing. The four teams that are still playing. And where do they rank in passing yards per game? Kansas City Chiefs, number three. Los Angeles Rams, number five. New England Patriots, number eight. And the New Orleans Saints, number 12. So all top half of the league teams in passing and points per game. All right, now, uh, rushing, Rams third, Patriots fifth, Saints sixth, and Chiefs 16th. Still good, but not quite as good. So you need to be able to run the ball. But when you look at attempts, when you, like, I mean, these aren't top of the league teams and, uh, you know, they're not the, the most run heavy teams in the NFL. The most run heavy teams in the NFL were, were good teams. You could be good that way, but the game is tilted, right? The, it has tilted towards offense. And why is that? Because the rules dictate it. You can't guard guys anymore. You can't touch them. So you have to be able to throw the ball and sling the ball around the yard. So if I think, where do the Giants... Look, they're going to have Saquon Barkley. They're going to need to run the ball. And they're going to be able to run the ball because he's an awesome player. But their number one priority should be to build their team around their passing attack. And Saquon Barkley, by the way, is a huge part of that. He's a great receiver. So... Your offense is made to be a throw-it-around-the-yard team that runs the ball and can hit you with the occasional big big running play. That that threat is always there. That they can, They'll still run it, and when they do run it, they'll hit some big plays. Not that they're going to grind you out for 30-plus carries a game. Okay? I don't think the NFL is going in that direction. Now, if you're winning, your rushing stats get pumped up, right? Because at the end of the games, you get to run the ball. So the more you win, the more you're winning, the more you'll be able to add the running stats. And I think that's kind of what New England does. I mean, they, they I, granted, they alter their game plan every week. But because they're usually winning, they're allowed to run the ball more. Because later in games, when they're winning, they, that's how you end games. That's how you run out the clock. That's how you, you slow the game down. You take the lead with the pass. You slow it down with the run later in the games. And then the running yards and the running attempts pile up. So the Giants have to make a decision there. And it'll be interesting to see what they do this offseason. Because they have potential moves. They have some valuable pieces in regards to skill position players if they decide to go elsewhere. Otherwise, their other option is to change the quarterback. And they left that one hanging, right? That's been hanging. They didn't say at their postseason press conference what they're going to do at quarterback or if Eli Manning is definitely going to come back. They said, we have to see... What the field looks like. That's what Dave Gettleman said. I'm paraphrasing. We have to see what the field is. You know what that means? They're going to check their options before committing to Eli Manning. 
They're going to check all the other options. You know what that means to me? That means they are at the very least thinking about it and thinking hard about can we find somebody better in the short term? Because long term, we know he's not part of the plan. He's 38 years old now. Okay, Even the, the cult of Eli out there has to believe that the end is near. You know, not everybody's Tom Brady. He's a freak. Eli Manning, on the other hand, has slowed down. He's not on as good a team. He need they they need to they're in a rebuild. No matter if they don't want to use the word or not, but this team is in a, in a rebuild of some sort. Is it worth it to do a rebuild with a thirty eight year old quarterback? At some point, sooner rather than later, this team needs to get their new quarterback. And with that, on to the next one. Let's transition now to the next segment of the show. My favorite. It's the time where I let all of you ask me your deepest, darkest, most intimate Giants questions in Giants After Dark. All right, question number one. We got KG at KevGam438. Percent chance you think Eli is back next year at this point in time, right? Well, the Giants are, like I just said, are at the very least considering their options. But there's one thing about this. Let's just say, and I'm making hypotheticals here. Let's just say they love Dwayne Haskins. And I think that's the most likely quarterback if you're going to draft really, really, really at the top of the draft to come into play. It would be Haskins, okay? Whether it would be six or probably even higher. They probably have to move up to get him. If they love Dwayne Haskins and they say that's the guy we need to get and we're going to do anything we in our powers to get this guy, they cannot guarantee that. At this point in time or anytime real soon, really, because they would have to trade up to get that guy. So they have to make a decision on Eli before then. Free agency is, remember, what, six weeks before the draft. So you have to make this decision before free agency. First of all, the Giants have until the fifth day of the league year, so mid-March, to have a $5 million bonus on Eli. Okay? So they kind of have to make that decision now. Right between now and the beginning of March. And they're going to. Okay? Because here's what, here's the deal. The Giants are not going to bring back Eli Manning. Okay? And then draft his successor. And then cut him later on and leave him hanging. Because that will make the team and everybody look bad. So they can't do that. So they have to make their decision soon. And there's no guarantee even with guys in free agency. Who said Nick Foles wants to go to the Giants? Who says Teddy Bridgewater wants to play for the Giants? What if somebody's going to offer them a a big long-term deal? More than the Giants want to offer. So, to me, the Giants are going to look at their options and say, okay, we could always draft our guy. We We might still get our Dwayne Haskins, our Kyler Murray, our Daniel Jones, whoever it may be that they like. But let's, we, we could bring Eli Manning back. They'll do it probably at a lower price. And then we could still draft our guy later and have him sit a year, sit four games, sit six games. Or if he beats Eli in the preseason, he beats him out. Tough break. So, to me, more likely he comes back at this point 
then he doesn't. So I'm at about 65%. I'm going to write this down because I, I, you know, every, every few weeks I keep changing a little bit. We've pretty much been waffling around the 40 to 65% mark for the last two months. And the fact that he had, he was at 40 when he was at the lowest, had the little resurgence. Now he's been, been up to 65. I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm sitting there at 65%. Mid January. Write it down. Okay. Write it down. 45%, 60, 65% mid January. Eli Manning returns. That's Jordan Ronan's percentage right now. All right. Number two. All right. Drufus says, with Kyler Murray declaring for the draft, do the Giants take him at number six or try to strengthen the O-line, D-line and go after QB later in the draft? Well, let's eliminate this one right away, okay? They cannot take a quarterback later in the draft again. Stop wasting your time. The likelihood you get a starter later in the draft is so slim. This team needs a quarterback. You can't take a quarterback later in the draft and pray for the 1% chance, the inside straight back door flush, whatever you want to call it, that they hit it. You can't play those odds. That's why prime premium draft picks are valuable because they increase your chances of hitting. Your chances of hitting on a quarterback aren't even that high in the first round. You don't want to decrease them. They need to find their future quarterback in the draft. That's how it's done in the NFL 90% of the time. Even signing Nick Foles and Teddy Bridgewater, those kind of moves long-term in general on a grand scale with a lot of data to back it up, don't pan out into turning your team into Super Bowl winners. Long-term sustained success. Most of the long-term sustained success in this league comes from internal draftees of quarterbacks, and most of them in the first round. So that's where the Giants need to go to get their quarterback. So whether it's Kyler Murray, whether it's Daniel Jones, whether it's anybody, or I, I don't know. True Luck, who I don't even think would go anywhere near this range. Whatever. That's it. All right. Matt Lacari at Matthew Lacari says, In your opinion, what are the top three biggest offseason needs for the Giants? All right. Now, we just talked about it. You start with franchise quarterback because they need a quarterback. They need a new quarterback for the future. Okay. That's how you build your team in this, in today's NFL. You build it around a quarterback. And if you get a really good one and you get a great one, you, you should be able to have success. Uh, and your non-success, your inability to succeed is you end up with the Green Bay Packers are right now. And that's stuck in mediocrity. That's the worst case. So you got to build around them and then you end up firing your coach and blah, blah, blah. But for the most part, and they had some really good runs, you get that quarterback and you build around it. And the Giants did that. They drafted Eli Manning. Uh, they didn't really draft Eli Manning. He was drafted by the Chargers. But they essentially got the number one pick in the draft in 2004 and built their team around that. Now, granted, they had some players already in place. But they sustained multiple runs over an extended period of time, you know, till 2011. They had some good runs, and uh, they did it because they had that quarterback in place. 
They were able to do that. So it certainly helps. Question number four comes from Booker at Book D2. What are the unique traits of defensive players in this draft must have to fit in the Giants' defensive scheme and team culture? Well, you have to remember about Dave Gettleman. Uh, he came, he spent the majority of his time in the Giants organization. So he's a big believer in this bigger, more physical line play, right? He's not going to be the kind of guy who generally falls in love with the Aaron Donald types of the world. He's going to be the guys that, that falls in love with the, uh, bigger, more physical defensive lineman like Kawan Short was his guy in uh let's see uh in Carolina but let's see what his measurements are uh 63315 you know you're you're pr- you're probably going to look in that range uh defensive lineman he is a guy who had 11 sacks one year six seven and a half these are this is an interior guy but i think you're going to see more of that and even on the Outside linebacker spot, I don't think you're going to see the some real smaller guys. The 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 I don't know, uh, maybe even the the D Fords or even less the Leonard Floyd types. They're going to generally. I mean, this is a general assumption because we're just making assumptions and stereotypes on what their preference might be. Would be a slightly bigger guy, guys who could hold up maybe a little more at the point of attack. The Olivier Vernon type builds, I think, would probably be more the stereotypical Dave Gettleman outside linebacker type. So, but we'll see because really, uh, you know, he's never had a three-four defense. He ran; they ran a four-three in Carolina, and now he's here in New York and he's running a three-four. So, there's really no past evidence of what he would like specifically in his 3-4 outside linebackers. We saw Lorenzo Carter, who's a bigger, uh, lengthy, lengthier guy. Uh, length, I think, would be his strength. And that, that was sort of was in his first draft, a guy that they envisioned being able to put on some some more weight and bulk and get stronger. So uh, maybe that should be more of the expectation for the outside linebacker type. But defensive linemen, I, I feel pretty confident that Dave Gettleman wants bigger, more physical guys that could also rush the, rush the passer. So, uh, K. Huvane, question number five, the last and final question asks, a need for this team is pass rusher. Do you think Gettleman will bank on the development of B.J. Hill and Lorenzo Carter instead of spending draft capital and money on different pass rushers? No, I think Lorenzo Carter and B.J. Hill are going to be part of a group that is heavily invested in the draft and free agency. The Giants are going to attack this offseason and add to that interior, especially the pass rush. Especially the pass rush. I mean, when we, we did I finish the biggest needs before? If I didn't, I mean, it was quarterback... And then pass rushers as two, right? And three to me is right tackle. But pass rushers, and I'm I'm saying this as edge and interior, and it goes into Kay Huvane's question here, is that he's going to Dave Gettleman is going to invest in interior and exterior pass rush out or you know edge rushers like that is going to be his number 
one B priority or you know after quarter along with quarterback because they're going to at least assess the quarterback position and decide what they're going to do there whatever they whatever happens to go on there but yeah so BJ Hill and, and Lorenzo Carter in my mind and Giants fans have gotten I've seen this ever since I came okay guys come and they have decent first seasons and you want to make them into more that they are. There's nothing there for me at this point that says these guys are building block players, right? They look like solid players. Don't get me wrong. They look like guys that are going to contribute, can be starters, but they're not Aaron Donald. They're not Fletcher Cox. They're not, you know, these truly transcendent guys that teams and the good teams build around. They're not uh this Chris Jones on Kansas City right now who's off the charts good or Justin Houston as a pass rusher. I just don't know. I mean, that's that's a big ask. I would be surprised, and I'm not saying it's impossible, but you have to have realistic expectations. And to have those two guys as guys you build around and say, no, we don't need anybody else at those positions in those lines. And Dave Gettleman, by the way, wants to have a rotation of six, seven guys that he could just roll in nonstop. So that's what he's going to do. And that's going to involve a heavy investment in the draft and a heavy investment in free agency. So expect that. Guarantee it. Book it. Now. On to the next one. Let's move on to Jordan on a beat, where I explain to you what it's like to be the Giants beat writer and to be a beat writer out of the NFL and work for ESPN in general. you got to think of some other questions, my goodness. The number one thing I get asked this time of the year, and people say to me all the time, is what do you do now? Like the Giants are, you know, their season's over. Like, do you go cover something else? Are you, do you have time, are you off? Do you work every day? So here's what I'll say about that, right? In my mind, I mean, I do take a vacation after the Super Bowl pretty much every year. Like that's a, a family thing every year. You know, that's like the official end of the season. But then that rolls right into the combine. So there's stuff going on, right? There's coaching changes, coaching searches. Um, we're hanging on the Eli thing right now. The Pro Bowl's coming up. Uh, Giants players, maybe former Giants players involved in the Super Bowl. Um, Saquon Barkley is going to be up for the Offensive Rookie of the Year. So between now and, say, the Super Bowl, which is, what, the first week of February, there's all these little things that you're, you're kind of still, you know, let's say, tying the bow on the on the 2018 season. And for me, I have to help out with covering some teams, like for the ESPN crew. So I've been going up to New England a little bit, helping uh, our Patriots guy out, Mike Reese, by the way, who is the best if you want to follow a beat writer who's just the bomb, uh, Mike Reese is the guy. I mean, he's more of a straight-edge guy than me, for sure. He's a better person than me, for sure. That's not a hard uh, bar to to uh, go over, but, uh, I mean, this guy is a stud, I'm telling you. Go read his work and read what he does. If you're an aspiring journalist, you want to follow and look at what Mike Reese does because he is really – Really good at his job. So I help out on the Patriots. I've been to Super Bowls in the past. So all these things for the next few weeks, right? That That's what goes on. And I have a little vacation, and then it kind of rolls into the combine. 
The combine's at the end of February. I come back from vacation, go straight to the combine, basically. The combine's at the end of February. Free agency is pretty much the whole month of March, right? So then there's that. Then April is the draft. So the end of April is the draft. So the whole first three weeks of April are the lead up into the draft. There's all kinds of draft stories and all kinds of stuff that needs to be done. So now we're into April, May, June are OTAs, rookie mini camp, all these other things. And then that leaves you July. July is the month off if you're a beat writer. If you're an NFL beat writer and you cover the NFL, July is the dead month. By the end of July, like the very last few days, that's when training camps start up, and then it all starts over again. So there's really not that much downtime. Now, I do work at home now. I don't go to the Giants facility every day. I have to sort of create the content, find the stories to make, uh, to, 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 uh, track down, and that I want to concentrate on. And that's sort of what the offseason is like. Now, on another note, I went up to New England this past week. You, you, you see interesting things. I mean, to see up firsthand, you know, and talk to people inside that locker room, just see how other organizations work. It's pretty interesting. And even things like Rob Gunkowski, Gronk, you know, I'm, you stand there at a press conference or you stand next to Gronk in the locker room and you're one, you, you look at him and it's different when you see people on TV and you see them in person. And I thought the same with Eli Manning when I first saw him. Gronk's a lot skinnier. Than I would, you would think, right? He's probably, I don't know what he's listed at, but it's probably, he was like 6'5, 6'6, 260, 275 at some point. Who knows? But he looks pretty skinny. I don't know what he lists, he probably weighs right now. But to me, he looks like he's in the 6'5, 245 range. And that's a little skinnier than I thought. Even Tom Brady too, skinnier. Maybe it's just me. Like, I think if you're somebody who, had never been in an NFL locker room and you go in there, you're, you'd be wowed by the size of the guys, right? Because, like, remember John Beeson with the Giants? I mean, John Beeson's arms were like the biggest things I've ever seen. I mean, just humongous. And you, you walk into a locker room, like, these guys are huge, right? But maybe I'm a little numb to it at this point. And when you see guys on the field and you see them with their shoulder pads, like, Gronk looks huge when he's in his uniform and with those huge shoulder pads that he's going to run people over with. And then you see him in the locker room, you're like, you know what? He's a lot skinnier than I thought. Maybe if, like, somebody who hadn't see, who doesn't always see these guys and isn't maybe in awe of how big they are in general anymore, you would think that Gronk is still huge. But I thought he was kind of skinny. And ditto Tom Brady. Tom Brady's skinnier than I thought. Maybe he just looks, maybe he just looks skinnier without his pads on or thinner. Or leaner. Maybe they're just taller than I thought. They're both pretty tall, which makes them look lean. So, well, that's the end of this episode of Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter. Remember, go to iTunes, uh, go to the podcast, give us good ratings. It helps us out. We need good ratings. We need to go up. We gotta help them. We gotta take this podcast to the new level. So I want all your feedback on everything. What can we do better? What can we add? I'm gonna try and do more interviews and not just normal interviews. I'm, I want, I want to take them in a different direction this offseason. So we're gonna do more player interviews, uh, more maybe, uh, outside the box guys that I, that I can get on the show. And we're gonna try and do that in the offseason. It's a lot easier in the offseason to do that. So that's the plan. Maybe even starting next week. So you can get this on iTunes, ESPN app. You can get the podcast on uh, in a podcatcher if you have an Android phone. So 
uh, Google Play. So make sure you find the podcast. Tell your friends about it because they got to. We got. We got to get this. We got to grow this. Okay. We got to make this even bigger. We got to blow this up. That's the goal. This off season and into this season, we're gonna blow this up. Breaking Breaking Big Blue is gonna blow up, and it's gonna be thanks to all you. And I appreciate you all for listening. Feel free to send me questions anytime. Email, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you name it. I'll try and answer you. Till then, see you next time.